0: Well, tonight we're in Ezekiel chapter 28, so if you have your Bible, please open it there. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 17 tonight and talk about our defeated foe. Our defeated foe. Right here in this chapter, we have a description of the devil and uh, the sermon is uh, in a way about the devil, but it's not magnifying the devil. Uh, it is magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the victory that he won for us at Calvary. But we're talking about this defeated foe whose name is Satan or the devil or the adversary. We'll get into various uh, names here in just a few moments, but thank you for being here tonight. I really appreciate your attendance, and thank you, Sam, for the wonderful worship time during the song and music time. Thank you so very much. Look with me now at Ezekiel chapter 28. We begin to read at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. And say to him, Thus says the Lord God You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways. From the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." For your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Father, we thank you for your word. It is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're grateful that you've said in your word that your word would not return to you void, but that it would accomplish that which you've purposed it to accomplish. And so tonight, we are students of your word. We, Lord, uh, want to hear from you. We pray that uh, your precious Holy Spirit would be our teacher tonight as we need to hear from you, as we want to hear from you. And how we thank you for giving us the gift of your word. And Father, thank you that you are faithful. All of our lives, you've been faithful to us. And Lord, I've lived in your goodness. And I'm so grateful for that as we all are. But I pray your anointing now on the preaching of your word. And Lord, may you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us tonight in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. All right, let's look now at these verses, and we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages tonight. So uh, just uh, if you've looked at the outline, you uh, have gotten uh, wind of that already, but I want to just uh, make a few opening remarks about this passage and then get right on into talking about our defeated foe. Uh, This message came to Ezekiel the prophet, and it is described here as the Lord spoke to him in verse 11, saying to him, son of man, and that was God's title for Ezekiel, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now then, earlier in this chapter, Ezekiel heard a word from God about the prince of Tyre. And now he's hearing a word from God about the king of Tyre. These are two different people, and they're two different messages about them. The message to the prince of Tyre is in the first part of this chapter, and the message to the king is in the chapter, uh, the, the part that we just read a few moments ago. But the message to the king, I believe, goes beyond a message to a man who was the king of Tyre because there are some descriptions in this passage that would not and could not apply to a man. For example, he was in Eden. Look at verse 13, saying about the king of Tyre that he was in Eden. Well, the king of Tyre personally, bodily, was not in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and then they were expelled from the Garden of Eden after they sinned. Notice also, he says in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers... Well, the king of Tyre was never a cherub. That's an angelic being that we've seen before here in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, because it says here, you are the cherub who covers, that's a reference to the covering of the throne of God. You remember in the tabernacle uh, when God told Moses to make it a certain way, there were two cherubs or two, there were cherubim who were on either end of the uh, Ark of the Covenant uh, Perhaps he was one of those there at that particular time because the uh, tabernacle that Moses built was the one that was patterned after the tabernacle in heaven. And then look at verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Well, that would not apply to a human being either. Uh, and so all of these things and some other things in here lead me to conclude that this is more about the devil than it is about a man who is referred to and called and known as the King of Tyre. So with that as the background, let's look here at what we can learn about this one, uh, this one who is our foe. I want you to think with me now, first of all, about the fact that our defeated foe is a dangerous foe. He is a dangerous foe. He is not to be trifled with. He, he, does, uh, he, he is dangerous, and therefore we need to be aware of what he is capable of and what he can do. And so I want you to look with me now at three different places in the Bible where we see something of the danger of Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, which is a passage that uh, we are uh, quite familiar with, when uh, the serpent came there in the Garden of Eden and tempted Eve, and uh, she believed what he said, did not believe the word of God, believed the word of the tempter of Satan, and she sinned, and she, along with Adam, ate the forbidden fruit. I want to look uh, with you here in Genesis chapter 3 and uh, at verse 4. This is where the serpent uh, says to her after he, is, uh, uh, after he has uh, tempted her, he said, then the, woman, the, uh, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This was the temptation that Satan gave to Eve in the garden. She was not supposed to eat of the fruit. God had told Adam that originally, do not eat of the fruit Uh, of this particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Because if you do, the day that you do, you will die. In fact, exactly what God said was found back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. Here's where God said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally that verse says, dying, you shall die. In other words, you'll die in the beginning and you will continue to die until you finally die fully. And so here is Satan now contradicting what the word of God is and what God said to them. So he wants them to follow him instead of following God. And so he lies to Eve, she believes the lie And she eats the fruit. She gives some to Adam. And their eyes were opened immediately. And they realized that they had sinned and they needed to be covered. And so they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And, of course, that didn't work out too well. You know the rest of the story. But the danger came when Eve listened to the temptation from Satan. And she and Adam together sinned and they suffered the consequences of that sin. So there's, there's the first occasion that we see that Satan uh, is a dangerous uh, individual. He's a, uh, a, a created being. And so we're going to look now at the book of Job, uh, verses 1 and 2, and uh, chapter 1 and 2, rather. And we're going to find a second place that I want to look with you uh, this evening and show you how dangerous Job is. Uh, excuse me, how dangerous Satan is in the life of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And the Bible then says, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth And from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? He is slandering Job before God. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to his face. Here is Job after God brought up Job's name. Uh, uh, Job is a righteous man who is doing the will of God, and one day... God brings His name before Satan, who's come into His court, and He says, "Have you considered Job?" And Job says, "Well, I can't do anything to him because you are protecting him. But you just let me at him, and he'll curse you to his face." Well, God allowed the devil to do all those things to him. He lost his family, lost his home, lost his children, lost all of his livestock, lost his health and his wealth, and all of that. And Job never cursed God. Uh, that proved that Satan is a liar one more time, but he is a dangerous, uh, satanic being, and therefore we must be aware of the power that he has. He is not more powerful than God. Uh, they do not have equal power. Satan had to ask God's permission to do what he did to Job, but Job never, nevertheless did experience the dangerous aspect of what Satan can do. And then look with me over in the book of Luke in the New Testament. We're going to find that Jesus is speaking here to Simon Peter and uh, to the other disciples, and uh, he is saying uh, to Simon, something is going to happen to you, and I'm warning you about it. This is just before Jesus is betrayed and just before uh, all that happened at uh, at Calvary and uh, the crucifixion and so on, here's what uh, Jesus said to Simon, verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, and that word there is plural, he's asked for all of you, all of the disciples, that he may sift you, and that's singular, that he may sift you, Simon, as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. That's where it's singular. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And you know what happened shortly after that? Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. And Simon Peter denied knowing the Lord three times. So here is where Satan was sifting Simon Peter. He was trying to get Simon uh, to deny the Lord. That's exactly what happened. Simon Peter became so ashamed of himself. uh, he, He came face to face with Jesus right after his third denial. He went out and wept bitterly, but Simon repented, and therefore he was restored. Jesus had prayed for him after you have been renewed, he says, after you have returned, that is, after you've repented and come back to me. And strengthen your brethren because they're going to need your leadership. So Satan was involved in many different aspects of the, uh, of the lives of people and of the disciples and others, and so therefore he is a dangerous foe. Do not ever underestimate the power of Satan. Again, he's not more powerful than God, but if you underestimate the power of Satan, he will, he will catch you when you least expect it and he will trip you up, and he will tempt you, and you will fall in a way that you think, well, I would never do that. All right, he's a dangerous foe. Secondly, he is a determined foe. He doesn't give up easily. He is a determined foe. Look with me now over in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to see the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, starting to read at verse 3. I told you we are going to look all throughout the Bible tonight. Am I hearing pages turn? Okay. All right. Very good. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 4, and verse 3. The Bible here says, "'Now the tempter came to him and said, "'If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread.'" And he answered and said, "'It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.' Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, "'If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone.'" Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So here is the Lord Jesus Christ who immediately after his baptism by John the Baptist was driven, uh, Scripture says here in Matthew chapter 4, he was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that time, he was hungry. Satan came to him in his time of physical weakness And he tempted him. He tested him to see whether he would fall for his temptation like the first Adam had done back in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Eve and Adam and Eve sinned. Here now is the second Adam or the last Adam facing similar temptations. He's going to find out now whether Jesus is going to say yes to Satan or yes to his heavenly father. So he tempts him in the three major areas where temptation comes. John tells us in his uh, letter, 1 John, that uh, sin, uh, we're tempted in three basic areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. All three of these areas are where Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. First came uh, the desire of the flesh. Here, 40 days, Jesus is hungry, so Satan says, Turn one of these stones here into bread. You can do it. You've got the power to do it. He was appealing to the weakness in Jesus' flesh because he had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. So he appealed to his flesh. Uh, Jesus did not fall for that. He quotes scripture in order to combat the the, uh, temptation from Satan. But Satan doesn't give up. Next, he tempts him with pride. If you are the son of God, verse 6, throw yourself down for it is written he'll give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone he took him to the highest point in the temple what he wanted jesus to do was jump down off of that highest point of the temple and let the angels of god come and keep him from actually hurting himself but he wanted jesus to make a big splash in jerusalem and tell everybody hey everybody i'm here well, that wasn't what Jesus was going to do, but that's what Satan tried to tempt him to do in order that he might tempt him by means of pride. Look who I am, everybody. I've showed up, and you can, you can uh, acknowledge me now. That was Satan's diabolical scheme, but of course, it was not Jesus who fell. Jesus did not fall for it. And then the third, the uh, pride of life. It is written, uh, again, the devil took him up to exceeding the high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Here Jesus sees all the kingdoms of the world. Satan is trying to appeal to his seeing all these kingdoms. And he's hoping that Jesus would, by seeing all these kingdoms, say, wow, well, I'll take all those kingdoms if you'll offer them to me. All you got to do is worship Satan. Jesus wasn't going to fall for that. But here is the devil, he's not giving up easily. He's determined to continue to tempt and test Jesus. Now, when Luke wrote about this same experience, and he wrote that the devil left him, the way he wrote it was, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, this was not the last time that Jesus was tempted or tested by the devil, Uh, Over and over again, he was, but what we see that the devil is always uh, nearby uh, when Jesus is performing miracles, when he is teaching, when he is uh, uh, involved in ministry. There are many times that Jesus delivered people from demons, The demons and the devil were always nearby. But one place that really struck me today as I was studying this, and I had not really ever thought about it in this light before but do you know when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, they were having the Passover meal. And, and um, this, is, this uh, was so, such a, a, an eye-opener to me. I want you to, to turn with me, if you, if you will, to John chapter 13. I want you to look with me at one verse. The, the disciples are eating this Passover meal. And this is the same meal where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we're going to be observing this coming Sunday. So I hope you look forward to that. I know you do. It's always a highlight and a wonderful time. But Jesus here is, uh, is uh, having this meal with his disciples, and Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray him, is still there. And they, some of the disciples have asked Jesus, who's going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? Jesus had told them somebody would. They looked around. They didn't know who it was going to be. Here's what Jesus did. He said, the one that I give this piece of bread to is the one that's going to betray me. And he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And the Bible then says at verse 27, after Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas Iscariot, after this it says, now after the piece of bread, Satan Entered him. It was Jesus, the 12 apostles who were there in the upper room, but Satan was also there. Right there, ready to enter Judas Iscariot as soon as the time came. He is a determined foe the temptation of Jesus. Also, now you and I are still involved in spiritual warfare, and that is part of what the devil is doing all the time, even now. Now I'm going to turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and read just two or three verses out of Ephesians chapter 6 and mention here that we are in spiritual warfare. We're in a spiritual battle all the time. Finally, my brethren, Paul wrote in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil here is our adversary, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, these are demonic rulers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness of, uh, and hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is the arena in which we battle spiritually. It is a spiritual battle in spiritual places. So we have the adversary who's the devil. We have the arena, which is in uh, spiritual places. And then we have the armor. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So you see, you and I are still facing a determined foe. Even though the devil was defeated at Calvary, even though the devil was defeated at uh, the resurrection, at the empty tomb, even though Jesus defeated him, he is still not giving up. He is still going after Jesus. He is still going after the body of Christ, which is what he is. He is here now, uh, the body of Christ, the church. He is still wreaking havoc in the church and doing all he can to prevent the spread of the gospel, to keep those who've already gotten saved from growing in their walk with Christ. He is continuing to try to put roadblocks in front of us, to sow discord among the brethren, all those different things that Satan continues to do. He is not only a dangerous foe, he is a determined foe as well. But finally, he is also a defeated foe. And I'm glad we got to this part, aren't you? He is a... He is a defeated foe. His defeat was prophesied way back in Genesis chapter three. We've already looked at that. I won't turn there with you again. But Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen, God pronounces judgment upon Satan after he tempted Eve and Adam sinned, and therefore he says to the serpent, "You uh, are cursed. You will, you will uh, slide." on your belly from now on, and you will be defeated. The seed of woman will defeat you, Satan, and you will bruise his heel, but he, speaking of Jesus, will crush your head. So even shortly after this first sin uh, of of humanity. Uh, the first sin was actually Satan, but the, the first sin on the earth is uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. And so now, shortly after that, the judgment of God comes, and the one who tempted them to sin is, is given his sentence. He's given his judgment because he is going to uh, to lose even though he continues to try to win. So his defeat was prophesied. His defeat was accomplished at the cross of Calvary, even as it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 3 and verse, 5, and verse 8 says, For this reason the Lord Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came forth for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I've come that you may have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is a summary of what the devil is trying to do and still wants to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. So how did Jesus accomplished that defeat of Satan. Uh, I want to read for you or with you if you'd like to turn Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, which is a glorious verse of Scripture, which speaks about how Jesus defeated Satan even though it looked like Jesus had lost. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says this, having disarmed Principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So when Jesus was dying on that cross, it looked like a defeat. It looked like he had lost. It looked like Satan had won. But the very thing that it looked like was the opposite of it, actually, because Jesus was winning the battle there, he was winning the victory. He defeated Satan on the cross, even though the devil didn't even realize it until three days later. Uh, he is, uh, he disarmed principalities and powers. That is, principalities and powers are the demons, the head demon being Satan himself. He disarmed them. He made them defenseless. They could not defend themselves. He made a public spectacle of them. uh, The devil was not defeated in private somewhere. He was defeated in the open, in public, as Jesus hung On that cross, it was a public spectacle. Not only did the Son of God die for our sins, he died to defeat the devil as well. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When those nails went into the hands and feet of Jesus, they were nailing that uh, code of of, uh, the law, of the Old Testament law, uh, to the cross with him. And we died to the law. And Satan and his power came uh, from beating people up over their inability to keep the law, and therefore now he is a defeated foe. So you have Satan, who uh, his defeat was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. It was accomplished on the cross. It is applied, though, to your life and mine on an everyday basis. What good does it do for us to just have a history lesson about the fact that Satan was defeated at the cross at Calvary and at the resurrection unless it does us some good today? And so what what good does it do to know today that Satan is a defeated foe? Well, 1 John chapter four and verse four says this, do not fear for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I've said, very clearly that Satan is a dangerous foe, but we need not have a cringing fear of him. We, ha- we need to have uh, a certain respect in the fact that we don't get proud and think that the devil can't do anything to us or, uh, or uh, that we, we're just so strong in and of ourselves that we can defeat him. No, um, the devil puts thoughts in your mind. He wants you to try to get to Uh, to a place or to do things that are contrary to the will of God and what you know to be God's will for your life. He wants you to deny the Lord. He wants you uh, to act in a way that's unbecoming of a Christian, all these other things. And so you and I need to remind ourselves on a daily basis, uh, if not more often than that, greater is he who is in us, who is in you, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in us. So when the devil comes around to try to defeat you or try to tempt you, then you can say and quote this verse, greater is he who is in me. The devil, I do not need. I don't have to listen to you. I reject that thought. I replace it with the word of God. And therefore, I am remembering to follow after the word of god and not after you so apply it in your life and then we go back to ephesians chapter 6 and read after those verses that we read a moment ago about the adversary and the arena and the armor where paul describes the armor the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace taking the shield of faith the quench of fiery darts of the evil one the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the living word of god and then watching and praying and speaking as God gives us opportunity and utterance. All of those things are the, are the Lord Jesus Christ actually, but that is the armor of God that we are to wear and put on every day. And when we are dressed as we ought to be dressed, when we are thinking as God wants us to be thinking, when we are alert of the, to the fiery darts that the devil sends our way, we can live in victory. We can uh, we do not have to yield to the temptation of Satan. We do not have to uh, serve the lust of the flesh. In fact, the Bible says in the Galatians chapter 5 that if we are walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's one or the other. We're either walking in the Spirit or we're walking in the flesh. If we're walking in the flesh, we are a prey ready to be easy prey for the devil. If we're walking in the Spirit, even though he tempts us, we will not not succumb to those temptations. And then, finally, the defeated foe, his defeat is finalized. We read about it in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, where the Bible says that Satan was cast into the lake of fire. Where he will be tormented night and day forever and forever. And so Satan, his defeat was prophesied in Genesis. We see the fulfillment of it. It's going to happen one day. John saw it in the future in Revelation chapter 20. One day he will be cast into the lake of fire and he will be there forever and forever and forever. Well, you said, well, Joe, that's, that's good to know. But if the devil is defeated, why is, why is the world in such a mess still? Why is, why is he still having his way in so many people's lives? Well, I heard, uh, actually read an illustration by, that James Dobson had in one of his books several years ago. That I think gives a good insight to this. It's a story uh, about a missionary who was serving in Africa who was coming back to his home, and he heard something going on inside his home. He couldn't figure out what it was, and so he was uh, approaching his home now with, a, with some caution because uh, he didn't want to walk in on a burglar or something or somebody that was trashing his house, and he opened the door very carefully, and as he looked around, he saw that his inside of his house was just totally torn up. It was just trashed, and um, and he, uh, he, he said, well, what in the world is going on? He, he realized there was a huge snake in his house. And he, he needed to do something about it. He, he didn't think he could just pull the snake out. And so he was carrying a pistol. He took his pistol out and he shot the snake in the head. And the snake died. But before the snake died, it continued to thrash around in the house. The missionary had to close the door to get away so as not to get somehow tangled up with the snake. But the snake had taken a fatal wound, but it was still wreaking havoc inside the missionary's house. And that's what the devil is doing. He has received a fatal blow but he's still causing as much damage and wreaking as much trouble as he possibly can. He knows his time is up. He just doesn't know when it's coming. But one day, that foe who is so dangerous and so determined, who is also been defeated, will finally realize that he is a loser and he'll spend eternity remembering the fact that though he was perfect, though he was the cherub who covered, he was perfect until there was sin that was found in him. Of his own choice, he rebelled against God And he will be suffering the consequences of that for all of eternity. So we serve a risen, resurrected, reigning, and one day soon returning Savior. Let's focus on him. Let's realize we have a determined foe, but let's also not let him have place in our lives. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 verse 30, do not give place to the devil. We don't have to. Because we have victory in Jesus.